I just got an email demanding that I sign a petition calling for the disbarment of Trump's lawyers because they have the chutzpah to bring lawsuits. Oh my God, that's McCarthyism. I'm not going to sign that petition. Whatever you may think of the legal theories that are being put forward, and I'll discuss them now on The Dirt Show, you don't go after the lawyers. I just got an email demanding that I sign a petition calling for the disbarment of Trump's lawyers. Here's what it says. Trump's lawyers are filing dozens of phony lawsuits over voter fraud with zero evidence. They could flood the courts and help Trump steal the election. So we're drafting a massive petition to force state bar associations to disbar Trump's lawyers immediately. We need 150,000 signatures by midnight or our plan will fail. What about that? Is that just plain, ordinary, old-fashioned McCarthyism? Going after the lawyers because you don't like the client? Or you don't like the fact that the lawyers are aggressively pursuing the client's political uh, interests? No, that's not the way we do it in America. The lawyers have an absolute right to pursue whatever legal recourse their client wants them to pursue as long as it's legal ethical and based on facts that they can prove in court. Now, that, of course, is the question that people are raising. We've heard from two very distinguished lawyers, um, Lynn Wood, who has won a lot of very, very important cases, and Sidney Powell, who has also won a lot of important cases. Uh, Both of them are telling the American public that they have evidence that will conclusively prove that uh, President Trump actually won the election. Um, The main argument is that the software company that ran the computers that counted the ballots in many of the states, not Texas, Texas turned down this company, that the uh, software was rigged to turn votes away from Trump and toward Biden The allegation was made that one of the heads of the company is now on the Biden transition team, proving that this is not just an accident, but it was part of a deliberate plot. It's going to be very hard to prove those allegations. And as Sidney Powell said in a television interview yesterday, lawyers have to prove what they allege. They can't just say them. She claims they have affidavits that will demonstrate that, that, if true, could be a a game changer, obviously, if you could prove that there were computer glitches, either deliberate or even accidental, that would have changed the count in the election and would have given enough electoral votes to uh, President Trump, but he was denied an electoral victory because of computer errors rather than because the voters rejected him. the courts would obviously have to consider those kinds of uh, issues, Uh, but it remains to be seen whether they have the facts to actually prove what they claim they do. Let's hypothetically assume that they don't have the facts. And now here I'm teaching as, speaking as a person who taught legal ethics at Harvard for, I don't know, 30 years. Um, What if they don't have the facts? Well, still, they're entitled to seek remedy in the hope that the facts will develop. 
What if they know for sure they don't have the facts? I'm not saying this is the case, and are just making it up for political purposes. There, I think, there is a problem. I mean, lawyers are are not supposed to file lawsuits which are frivolous. They're certainly not supposed to file affidavits that are false. I know I'm a victim of that. Um, uh, David Boys, uh, the lawyer who's um, out to try to get me, has filed affidavits uh, from um, witnesses who he knows uh, are liars. Um, in one case, he filed an affidavit uh, by a woman claiming to have had sex with me when he told me in a recorded uh, conversation that she's wrong, simply wrong, that she couldn't have been in the places she claims I was in, and yet she filed Yet he filed an affidavit uh, in which she swears that she was uh, with me. Another lawyer filed affidavits and then basically said uh, to the media that he knows his client uh, is wrong when she accused Leslie Wexner, the head of Victoria's Secret, of uh, sexual uh, impropriety. So, you know, we have lawyers doing this, and I actually filed bar charges against um, David Boys for doing this kind of uh, thing, but the bar associations don't seem particularly interested. And that's an extreme case. There you have a case of a lawyer filing affidavits, sworn affidavits, by clients who he has said were wrong in making the allegation, and yet the bar associations did nothing. So they're not going to do anything against the Trump uh, lawyers, even if it turns out that the Trump lawyers uh, can't prove their case. The line between when a lawyer should or shouldn't be disciplined for filing frivolous lawsuits is not a particularly clear one. There are rules, but the rules are broken often, and the courts don't generally give relief, and bar associations rarely give relief in situations of that kind, particularly for prominent uh, lawyers like uh, David Boyes or some of the lawyers who were involved in this case. But it's an issue. Um, in general, the court should err and the Bar Association should err on allowing um, lawyers to bring lawsuits if there's any plausible legal theory and if they are uncertain about the facts, if they know that what they're saying is false, that's a completely different issue. So the lawyers are not going to be disbarred. They're not going to be disciplined. They may lose some clients. That's certainly a possibility. We've already seen pressure on some of the law firms to uh, stop representing uh, President uh, Trump. Had I been a law firm uh, when I represented President Trump on the floor of the Senate, I probably would have been pressured not to do it. I would have resisted the pressure. Um, I'm independent. The only person I have to take orders from is my wife. And in this case, she didn't agree with me, but she didn't prevent me from doing it. But I'm not part of a law firm, so I was able to do what I wanted to do on behalf of the Constitution and against the impeachment. But if you're part of a big law firm, I know several lawyers, for example, who wanted to defend me, and the law firms wouldn't allow them to do it because they didn't want to be in any way associated uh, with anything related to Epstein. And I'm sure there are lots of law firms today that are not allowing their lawyers to become involved on behalf of President uh, Trump because that's politically unacceptable and uh, it will lose them clients. And law firms are businesses, after all. So the law 
suits are going to go forward. Will they prevail? Won't they prevail? It depends on the facts. It depends on the numbers. It depends on how many votes may have been affected by computer glitches. It will depend on whether the computer glitches existed, whether if they existed they were deliberate or accidental, whether they impacted hundreds of votes, thousands of votes, or as some claim hundreds of thousands of votes. So we don't know the answers to those questions at this point in time. Let's remember what the strategy of the Trump legal team is. It's not to get Trump to 270 electoral votes. That seems beyond the realm of possibility. You'd need a virtual miracle to get enough states not only to discount votes, but to give enough votes to President Trump to bring him up from where he is in the 230s to uh, 270 or below 230. I don't remember the exact count. But you'd need a lot of votes to get him up there. I don't think that's what they're aiming for. They're aiming, on the other hand, to stop Biden from getting the 270. That will give them a victory, as clear a victory under the Constitution as they would get if he got the 270 votes. Why? Let me explain. Again, Article 2 of the Constitution clearly provides that unless one of the candidates gets a majority of the electors, that's 270 with the current count of electors, unless he gets 270 votes, the election goes to the House of Representatives, where Trump wins, uh, where the Republicans have more state delegations under their control than the Democrats do. Although the Democrats control the House, they have the speakership of the House, there are more delegations that favor Republicans, and so they would get more than the 26 states. That's all that's necessary to elect the president. That has happened several times in the 19th century. Uh, it happened in 1800 with the Hamilton uh, intervention in the election that involved um, Jefferson, Adams, and Aaron Burr. It happened again in 1824 with Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams, and it happened twice again after that, Tilden Hayes and one other election. So this is not unprecedented. It hasn't happened in the last 150 or so years. And I don't think it's going to happen now. Um, if it were to happen, it would not be taken lightly by the um, 77 or whatever million people who voted uh, for uh, Vice President Biden, but nor would the opposite be taken lightly by the 72 or so million people who voted for Trump. It is a recipe for disaster if the election were to go to the House of Representatives. That doesn't mean it can't happen. Theoretically, it could happen. It's in the Constitution. It wouldn't be a coup. It would be taking advantage, probably, of a flaw in the Constitution. If we were rewriting the Constitution, I doubt we would send the election of the president to the House of Representatives. I doubt we would have the states vote state by state. That was an anachronism based on the way the Constitution was drafted, really 13 sovereign states, and so you gave the states the ability to pick the president. We wouldn't do that if we were writing the Constitution today. But we're not writing the Constitution today. We're enforcing a Constitution that was written back 200 and something years ago and was twice amended in a relevant way. The 12th Amendment and the 20th Amendment both deal with this issue and leave some ambiguities and some concerns unresolved. But 
What's very clear is if there aren't enough electors to constitute a majority for one candidate, the election goes to the House of Representatives where it's decided on a state-by-state basis. That's the Constitution. That's the strategy of the Trump lawyers. And for that to prevail would require this perfect, perfect storm. They'd have to win a lot of cases at court. They'd have to win recounts. It wouldn't be enough to win Pennsylvania. It wouldn't even be enough to win Pennsylvania and Georgia. You'd have to win at least three states sufficient to take at least 35 or 36 electors away from Biden, bring them down to 268, 269. That would also assume you wouldn't have any faithless electors. You might very well have some faithless electors at that point who would want to avoid having the matter go to the House, and you might easily get some electors who were elected in states that went for Trump to change and say, for purposes of saving the country, we're going to vote for Biden. That could happen, too, and that would be consistent with the Constitution. Um, So it would be rife for deals, uh, for negotiations. In 1824, it was called the corrupt bargain because Henry Clay was one of the candidates for president, and uh, he basically threw his support in favor of the minority candidate, John Quincy Adams, in exchange for him becoming the Secretary of State. And that corrupt bargain resulted in Andrew Jackson getting elected overwhelmingly four years later, which might be the playbook that President Trump is considering. Uh, That is, continuing to challenge this election, calling it a corrupt bargain, and then announcing that his candidacy for 2024 is beginning today and Then he runs for four years on the corruption and hopes to win. Four years from now, he would be then the same age, essentially, that Biden is today. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Look, I told you, if you stay tuned to The Durst Show, you'd never be bored. I meant you'd never be bored by me. But you're never going to be bored by what's going on in the world. My God, if somebody had written a scenario a tv series about this i've been watching for the last couple of uh days uh the tv show designated survivor and i almost stopped watching it because it was so over the top it's so unlikely that these things can happen and then my family reminded me you think designated survivor is over the top have you read the newspapers lately have you seen the news What's going on now is more extreme than what went on in Designated Survivor. So stay tuned to The Der Show. Give me your calls. Tell me what you think's happening. Tell me how your family is talking about these issues. Tell me what you think would happen if the case actually went to the House and they elected President Trump for another term. Would the American public stand for it? Would we have violence in the streets? Would we have violence if the opposite happened? Call into the Der Show. So now it's time for me to hear your excellent and intelligent questions and points of view. Our first caller today is Edward from New Hampshire. No, I don't think the president should concede this election. This election was stolen from uh, him and his voters, of which I am one. And for that moral reason, he should never concede he may have to relinquish power on the 21st of January, but he should never concede this election. This election was fraudulent, and we need to fight on in another venue, another place, another time. 
The stakes are too high. Boy, you certainly have a lot of passion about this, and I understand the passion. Um, if I believed, as you do, that the election was literally stolen, I would share your passion. I haven't seen the evidence. I'm not saying there hasn't been some constitutional violations and some fraud. There's always going to be fraud in some elections. But um, if there are lawsuits, the evidence will be laid out, and the American public will have a chance to see whether this was a legitimate election or a stolen election. I think that Richard Nixon always felt that the 1960 election was stolen from him. I'm sure Al Gore believed that the 2000 election was stolen from him. Uh, both ultimately uh, conceded. I'm not telling the president to concede. I do think he ought to start cooperating with the transition because the most likely outcome of the litigation and the challenges will be that Vice President Biden will be sworn in on January 20th. And if that's the likely outcome, even if you think it's an illegitimate outcome, there's no reason to hurt the American public by not going along with the transition, particularly on national security issues like COVID and China and Russia and other issues involving our national security. The next call is from Martin. I just wanted to comment on your most recent podcast, the one that was yesterday, I guess that would be Friday, uh, concerning uh, Trump's, Trump's actions and what he can do to still remain in good stead, even though he, he uh, admits that he lost. I think that was very clever of you. I think you did a very good job. Actually, it seemed to me like you were speaking to him rather than the audience per se, which is fine because someone's got to get the message across to him, and you're certainly in a formidable position to do so. So I think it was very well done. I think you created a great um, argument for the fact that he could leave uh, in an honorable way, particularly with respect to the peace negotiation that he created in the Middle East. So uh, once again, you came through with uh, – uh, a very salient argument, and uh, I commend you for it. I think it was very well done. I only hope that Donald Trump listens to it. The president has not asked me for my advice. If he were to ask me for my advice, I would certainly give him the advice that I gave on the Der Show, namely to go forward with the transition cooperation while defending your legal rights in whatever way you think is is proper. Uh, I think that's uh, an appropriate uh, approach that won't satisfy anybody completely, but that's in the nature of things when you live in a divided country with a contested election. Our next call is from Hugh. Regarding your discussion of the election of 1824 and Jackson's four-year campaign claiming that John Quincy Adams was an illegitimate president, that looks an awful light, an awful lot of what happened after the 2016 election. The Democrats claimed that Trump was not a legitimate president. Even before he was sworn in, we had Democrats talking about impeaching him. The Democrats then spent the next four years demonizing Trump and doing their best to frustrate his plans. And it looks like they succeeded. It seems like they've gotten a Democrat elected president in the following election. It remains to be seen what's going to happen in 2024 uh, I don't think this thing is settled yet, and I am really worried for our republic. 
Look, I agree with you. I think a lot of the blame goes to the Democrats. They were trying to impeach the president on the day he got uh, sworn in, and they did impeach him along strictly partisan lines for um, non-constitutional uh, actions. Uh, that's why I defended the president, even though I didn't vote for him in 2016. I do think that uh, a lot of the allegations against him were unsupported uh, by evidence. I still think we don't have all the facts that um, may show even more complicity by some Democratic operatives. I don't think we have all the facts in this election. I'm still not satisfied that we know everything about uh, Hunter Biden or any conceivable relationship between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. As I said before on the show, I think Joe Biden is a, um, a very decent man. Uh, I don't think he would personally want to profit, um, but um, I don't know his son. And uh, I don't think that Twitter and Facebook uh, should take down tweets uh, involving that issue. We're probably going to see it investigated even into a Biden presidency. The tragedy in America is that I don't think we'll ever get an election that everybody deems to be legitimate. You're absolutely right. The 2016 election, many people regarded it as illegitimate, even though Hillary Clinton uh, conceded uh, defeat. Many people thought that it was taken from her by Comey, by the Russians, by uh, you name it. Uh, she won the popular vote by close to three million, but that's the nature of our constitutional system. That doesn't make a presidency illegitimate. Um, and uh, we live in an age where illegitimacy is uh, the coin of the realm and people will make those arguments over and over again and will, if necessary, distort the facts to uh, make uh, their ideological positions seem more credible. So my word to you is be skeptical of arguments on all sides. Always challenge. Always ask for the evidence. Our next call is from New York. Noah. My only question to you, I read your article this morning on Newsmax about throwing it to the House. I watched you during the impeachment hearings, did a great job. My question is, can you represent him? Can you get this to the House? Can you uncover the fraud? Just from the looks of it, something doesn't smell right. Well, thanks for your confidence. The president or his legal team haven't uh, called um, on me to uh, represent him. I think I've done my duty. I did represent the president, the presidency, the Constitution on the floor of the Senate. I'm very proud of what I did. Obviously, um, it's resulted in a lawsuit. I'm living in the world of lawsuits. I'm now suing CNN for totally distorting and doctoring my argument on the floor of the Senate, making it sound like I said a president can commit any crimes as long as he thinks his election is in the national interest. I said exactly the opposite. And I hope it gets to a jury and the jury will see how CNN distorted my uh, point of view quite deliberately, quite willfully. Um, but uh, right now, uh, my role is as an observer, a commentator, an analyst. Um, my job is to help explain to the public what is actually going on, what the likelihood is of success, failure, one side or the other. And I think that's an important role. Hey, Mark, what's your point? So Trump has known and warned us about election fraud for many months now, and it is very obvious that there is a lot here. Uh, even an average citizen such as myself has seen a lot. 
my question to you is, knowing Trump, he had to have prepared for this and set up a sting of sorts to catch them in the act, correct? What a great question. Uh, I, I, that would have been interesting to have set up some kind of a sting. Um, I think you'd probably be a good screenwriter. Uh, it would make for a great television uh, show to have a president or a Justice Department create a sting to catch people who are trying to corrupt the election. I have seen no suggestion or evidence of that, but I think more evidence will come out. I do think that the issue of whether there were computer glitches has to be uh, elaborated and there has to be sworn testimony. We can't just take it on the word of lawyers, nor can we disbelieve it based on the word of lawyers. We can't decide truth based on ideology. Truth has its own claims, and so I'm looking forward to hearing and seeing the evidence of whether there were or weren't any computer glitches that may have affected the outcome of the election. Our next call is from Shell. I believe the president should not concede. We need to know that the elections were fair. Whether he ultimately prevails or Joe Biden becomes our president is not the important aspect. You've got 73 million people who believe this election was a fraud. That's very important that we all have confidence in our electoral process. It's an interesting point. 73 million people voted for President Trump. I'm not sure it follows that all 73 million people think the election was a fraud. It would be interesting to know how many of the people who voted for Trump believe it's a fraud and how many people who voted for Biden think it was a fair election. That would just prove my point, and that is that today facts are often based on ideology. If you voted for a candidate and if he lost, then you think it's fraud. If you voted for the other candidate and he won, then you think it's not fraud. Look, either it's fraud or not fraud. It doesn't matter who you voted for. And so we are in a situation, we live in a world where people see the facts through the lens of their ideology, I try my best not to do that. I try my best to look at the facts objectively, neutrally, in a disinterested way, regardless of who I voted for, regardless of what my preference is. But it's awfully hard to do that. So I, I appreciate your point. Our last call today is from Will. What do you have to say? What would a Camilla Harris presidency look like? if for any reason she was the president. And number two, do you support any sort of testing uh, for a potential president of the United States in much the same way that a health uh, or sports star, uh, a sport or athletic star, might get a pre-screening before uh, changing uh, sports teams? Thank you. Great question. Let me start with the second one. It would be fascinating if presidents or candidates had to be tested for cognitive skills and, and abilities, um, you know, maybe Ronald Reagan wouldn't have passed that for his second term. We know that he suffered uh, from some uh, disabilities uh, later on. Uh, maybe Franklin Delano Roosevelt would not have passed the test for his uh, fourth term, Woodrow Wilson, perhaps. Uh, we don't know, but the Constitution doesn't provide for any such test. I think it would be constitutional to require all presidential candidates to make all of their medical records uh, public. I would also think it would be constitutional to require them to make their tax records uh, public. But that's not the law today, 
And so we have to make our own judgments uh, based on our evaluations and sometimes these fake medical evaluations you hear all over television of doctors who've never met the guy um, and are ready to diagnose him. Um, that's uh, both, I believe, unethical and also quite stupid um, for professionals to offer diagnoses uh, based on usually their political ideology and their political points of view, and they are often one-sided. As far as uh, Kamala Harris, I, I don't know what kind of a president she'd make. We may very well learn that. It, the, if you looked at the statistical odds of her becoming president, they're probably pretty high. Uh, number one, because of Joe Biden's age, um, she tragically might become a president during the next four years. That's possible. Also, people who serve as vice president often do run for president, particularly in a situation like this, where it's likely, not certain, but likely that uh, Joe Biden would be a one-term president because he'd be in his 80s um, when he had to run a second time. And, 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 and Harris might very well run, might very well win. So we'll have to see. Very hard to know. She strikes me as very intelligent, articulate, um, tough, um, kind of center left. I don't believe the allegations that she's Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, AOC left, but she's also not Biden center. If I had to put her anywhere close to a candidate, I would say probably pretty close to second term Obama. Second term Obama was much further left than first term Obama. I hope she's more honest than second term Obama. What second term Obama did to Israel uh, in his lame duck period uh, after in December, just before he left the presidency, stabbing Israel in the back after promising he wouldn't and, and voting, uh, abstaining, not voting against a resolution that would declare the Western Wall uh, and the holiest sites of Judaism to be illegally occupied territory. I hope she wouldn't do that um, but um, she is certainly further left than, than, and, than Biden and obviously further left than any of the Republicans. So um, I think she'd be among the most leftish presidents, but not nearly as left as some of the people who have run and probably would run against her if she tried to secede um, a President uh, Biden in 2024. But stay tuned. So that's the Der Show for today. Great calls, really exceptional calls. As I've said before, Der Show, I need the wits. The wits at the end come from your calls and your comments, and they have been great so far. Keep them coming. Let me know what you think, and I'll try to respond to each of your calls on the Der Show. An important part of the Der Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.